If you are just getting started with the NGSS and 3D teaching, I want to invite you to check out Bring Wonder Back, an on-demand video series designed to help you understand why moving through the textbook and teaching topics is actually crushing your students' curiosity and what you can do instead. It's going to help you shift the work of learning where it belongs by building your understanding of explorations and discovery-based teaching practices. And finally, I'm going to help you take the first steps toward transforming your students into scientists through 3D learning, which is really what the NGS is all about. You can access this video series at iExploreScience/wonder and get ready to bring wonder engagement and a love for learning back to your science class. All right, to the show. Welcome to the Teaching Science in 3D podcast. I'm Erin Sadler from Sadler Science. And I'm Nicole Van Tassel with iExplore Science. We're here to cut through the confusion to help science teachers like you make science relevant and engaging with student-driven instruction. We know that when students take ownership of their learning, teaching can be simple and fun. Thanks for being here and let's dive into the episode. there. This is Nicole Van Tassel with I Explore Science, and you are listening to the Teaching Science in 3D podcast. Uh, and today's a special episode. We actually have a, it's like an interview, and I have someone here who we connected on Instagram about some nature journaling. And uh, so she's going to talk about her experience with nature journaling because she knows way more about it than I do. And, um, and yeah, so this will be a fun episode. So this is Sarah, and I'm going to let Sarah introduce herself before we get started. Hi everyone, my name is Sarah Suloff. I'm from Phoenix, Arizona, and I've taught most of the sciences, but my concentration is biology. Awesome, so what grade are you, like, have you taught, or middle school, high school? Both middle school and high school. All of those upper school grades except for seventh. Okay, that's that's funny, that's the grade I'm teaching this fall, so. I'll fill in the seventh grade gap, I guess. <laughs> um, awesome. Okay, so we connected because of nature journaling. So can you kind of tell us like what it is and and yeah, introduce us to this concept? Yeah, nature journaling is basically the practice of making and recording observations in nature spaces. spaces. Um, so it'll look a little bit different for everyone, but drawings and written observations will definitely be a part of it. Um, some people like to bring in samples and that type of thing to like collect in their journals. Um, and the nature spaces themselves can be lots of different things. It doesn't necessarily have to be like a wilderness space, mm -hmm. um, but any kind of natural space, even if they're urban, would count for this. Okay, so before we get into like the logistics of kind of like how you've done it and all of that, why do you think it's important? Or like, what does it you know, add to your classroom? Why is it worth doing? Any of those kind of convince everybody. I mean, I'm already convinced because I'm excited to do this this year, but like convince everybody else why this is worthwhile to do. Okay. So I think there's two, um, two main areas to kind of look at for the value of it. For students, it gives them the opportunity to kind of apply what they're learning in class to these real world local spaces. Um, and that was the feedback that I've gotten from students the most, that they really like the opportunity to apply what they're learning um, to something that's not a worksheet, right? Yeah. 
Um, it also gives them the opportunity to engage in scientific practices in a way that is a little less contrived than what they might do in the classroom. Um, so I'm thinking next generation um, science standards, you know, the practices. Practice there. Yeah, the science and engineering practices. Yes. There we go. Um, <laughs> yeah. So it gives them the opportunity to engage in that a little bit more. On the teacher end of things, it's a really easy entry point for outdoor education. So if anybody's ever been interested in trying outdoor ed, this is a really um, accessible point to start trying it out with, you know, it's not a huge, uh, huge effort or huge commitment to start with nature journaling. Yeah. Okay. So you said, you mentioned about, um, you know, applying what they're learning in the classroom. So I can off the bat, like for sure, see biology making that connection, but and I'm throwing this question out there at you. We didn't practice this one or like, <laughs> but, but um, have you, have you done it with other like disciplines, like, you know, earth science or I don't know, even maybe physical science or ha have you primarily used it with like biology concepts or life science concepts? I've mostly used it with bio, but I do think that the practices are applicable to yeah. other disciplines. Um, the main one that I emphasized a lot with my students was observation, um, which is, I think, a really simple um, yes. or it seems like a really simple skill. But um, well, they just they just have so much access to technology now, right? Um, we had a whole thing the first year that I did this. They really want to just take pictures of stuff and then draw it later. And we really had to try to move away from that and get them to um, observe more closely in the moment without the... Yeah. Uh, you know, the safety net of being able to look at something later. Yeah. Um, and that one in particular, I think, applies to, to all of the sciences. You need to be looking a bit more closely and thinking a bit more deeply than maybe you otherwise would. Yes. I ran into that problem with like summer school kids. And I actually talked about it earlier on um, in this season of the podcast, because it was like, oh, we're just going to make observations. This should be like pretty simple. Like, oh my gosh, no. <laughs> it was like, it's a flower. I'm like, okay. Okay. <laughs> like, let's go a little bit more. Like, <laughs> um, but I think, but I think there is definitely that like level of it's hard being, it, it's hard doing it as a skill. It's also hard just being in the moment and focusing on something that like closely or deeply or, you know, mindfully almost. Um, mm -hmm. So, so I, yeah, I think whatever discipline, even if you're observing something that's not related to your content, just developing that skill is definitely, I agree, something that you can make a connection to. Um, okay. So, and I, yes, it's totally aligns with so many of the, um, the NGSS like dimension. So even aside from the content and developing those practices, like, uh, like the observation, I mean, you could even incorporate like the modeling components into it as, you know, and then you get into the cross cutting concepts where you're focusing on different patterns or, or structure and function relationships or, like maybe cause and effect or like so on and so forth, um, scale, proportion and quantity, like, like all of those, you can definitely tie that to the standards if you need to. It's also kind of just like you said, it's nice to get them outdoors. It's nice to get them. Um, that's what I'm excited about getting some of the kids that I'm teaching outdoors and kind of just connecting with their local environment. So, but all those other things, you know, cause admin likes to know how you're connecting to standards and so on. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. 
Um, okay, so how did you get started with it? Can you kind of like walk us through your story a little bit? Um, and then we'll and then we will also talk about how te- like other teachers kind of can get started dabbling in it and all of that. But like, how did you end up coming across it or discovering it or using it or? Mm-hmm. your story. Yeah. So I've had, um, an interest in outdoor education. Well, from the beginnings of my teaching career, I guess I didn't always have like the name for it or really a conscious connection yeah. <laughs> to it. Um, but now reflecting back, it's obvious that that's something that I've been interested in the whole time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I kind of, I fell in love with biology myself through an outdoor education experience. Um, That's what made me want to go into that field in the first place. It's uh, why I decided I did not want to be a teacher in high school. Oh, I went through that. Yes. (laughs) Here I am. I am Um, never teaching. I would like (laughs) Um, So then kind of the best of both worlds, I ended up majoring in bio and then got a second degree in bio ed and then, you know, they're together now. So I get to do both of the things. (laughs) Um, But I started really exploring it like from a pedagogical level once I was in my master's program, um, which was in learning sciences. And so I did my thesis all about nature journaling and my my own students were my subjects. So I did my research in my classroom. Um, I needed something that was, this was, oh God, I did my thesis during our COVID shutdown year. Oh um, So yeah, so were we gonna be in person or online or hybrid? I had no idea. So I needed to be studying something that was gonna work no matter what platform we were teaching in that year. Yeah. Um, and nature journaling ended up being it because I knew I could have the kids do the journaling if we were in school, right? To like, cause we had an area outside of campus we could go to, but I could also just have them do it yeah, you know, at their park or whatever. Um, so that's how I kind of found it was when I was looking for what exactly I wanted to research okay. in outdoor education for my thesis. Yes. Okay. Perfect. So, so then how did you, yeah. Like how did you get started with your students? Like what are some, yeah, just walk us through how you introduced it to your students maybe and any like tips or tricks or like, you know, do this, don't do this. <laughs> yeah. So we were fully online um, when I started my study. And when we started the elective that I mostly use it for, it was an ecology elective. Um, they knew from the beginning, it was something that we were going to be doing, right? The journal, like the sketchbook is part of their supplies and everything. Um, we nature journaled at about two week intervals for the entire school year. And um, that was an integral part of the elective course. And they knew that the goals for it were um, to work on these skills like observation and then to have that space to be connecting the course content. So I had a rubric that I used to grade it and they were required to be doing those things. The connections were a big deal. Mm -hmm. Um, Just thinking right? Thinking about what you're seeing and how does this apply to what we're doing in class and so on. Since it's an ecology class, everything that you're looking at applies. Yeah. <laughs> Just think about natural selection, everything, it all works. Yeah. Um, so that's what we did. We also did some um, online activities for it too. On days, when, well, in the wintertime, I mean, our class started at 7.20 in the morning. So in the winter, it was too dark. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Class. Um, so we would do online activities for nature journaling, which sounds weird, um, but it actually worked 
a lot better than I thought it would. I would find like a trail cam video. Okay. um, Like a zoo cam. A lot of zoos have like where you can. Yeah. Yep. So something like that, or I'd find a picture of an organism that's just weird enough that they probably wouldn't know immediately, like what the traits are for, um, or like what an evolutionary advantage would be for those traits. So we would pull that up, watch together and then, um, discuss, right live while they're doing the entries in their journals. Then we do a similar thing now that we're in person where we'll actually go out and they'll work in groups and observe the same thing and then discuss with each other what they're seeing. Awesome. Okay. So how did your students first like respond to, or like, what did they do well? Where did they struggle? Um, the first complaint, and this has been every year since I've done it. The first thing is, um, Miss Sulaf, I can't draw. So I'm going to fail at this. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's always, and we kind of work through it. They, they get a little bit better, but I tried to emphasize um, the purpose is to be making those observations. If you don't feel like you're as strong at drawing, you know, give it a go, but then supplement more with written mm-hmm. descriptions, right? If you're not into as many written notes, then like really get into your drawings. Both should be there, um, but you can lean on the one that you feel more comfortable with. And it's not an art class, right? So I'm I'm not looking for their, uh, their skill, yeah. but you can tell by looking who has really put thought into their work and what they're seeing and who really has not, whether they can or, or can't draw so well. Yeah. Um, so that's always the first concern that the students have. Um, after that, they tend to struggle for a time with making those connections, um, the ones who kind of intuit how to do that or are already kind of skilled at making those types of connections to, you know, real world things, they can just go with it and they can do it a lot. The ones who aren't um, don't immediately see, you know, what the bridge is there. And so they needed a little bit more scaffolding to figure out how is this related to what we're talking about in class. Um, And for those kiddos, I usually try to narrow it down a little bit instead of saying like connect to something in class. It can be anything. I would say like, think about what we just talked about. Okay. Connect to that thing. Okay. Yeah. Some, okay. And, um, I don't know. I don't have a follow-up question. (laughs) Um, okay. So if a teacher is like just starting, what would you recommend for being like the very first maybe activity or how structured should it be or any tips for like that first lesson where they're just gonna like right now, just gonna go do it. Um, so for the first one, if you're like nervous about it, I would say you don't even have to leave the classroom if you don't want to. Um, you can bring artifacts into the classroom if you're a science teacher and you have the lab tables, set some stuff up on the lab tables and have them in groups like rotate around and they can make observations and draw what's there in the classroom. Um, it's also helpful if your administration is a little like, I don't know if I want you to take the kids outside, um, start with something in the classroom. If it works really well, then you at least have that as the foundation for why you want to then move outside the classroom. Um, as opposed to that being the first thing I, uh, I, I struggled myself when we first came back to do it in person, um, since we were online and I was like, 
go, go into your front yards and look at things. Um, when we came back in person, then I kind of did that again. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't work if they're not alone um, because, well, they could just look at each other. So why should they look at these flowers when they could just look at each other and talk to each other? Um, so I had to uh, reel back a little bit and be more structured uh, when the kids were with me ironically. Okay. Um, yeah. So I would assign smaller groups, um, things like you need to pick what you want to look at and you kind of need to stick around there for a while. We're not just wandering and flitting about. Um, yeah. <laughs> just taking a walk. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so that, that tended to work limiting the area, at least for a time. And then, you know, once they know what they're supposed to be doing and they have that trust, okay, now you can go and go wherever. Cause I know that yeah. you are on task for the time. It's yeah. depending on how big the space is. I mean, yeah, they could be doing anything. And they were for the first couple yeah. of times that we did it. So do you have your students like share their journals or discuss them or revise them or talk or present them or anything like that? Yeah, so we would do follow-ups. Um, we couldn't do them for all of their entries because our follow-ups tended to take a long time, uh, which was really exciting. But then at the same time, we do have other things to do. Um, so I would choose which ones, if they had like a particularly good or bad batch of entries, we do some kind of follow-up activity. Um, sometimes that just meant that I picked out the ones that were like really exceptional. And I wanted to share strategies that those students were using with other students. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes we would lay all of them out at the desks and students would rotate around and see if they could add anything. Um, Like if we have all of our observations written in the journal, uh, does a new student see some kind of connection to course content that the original student didn't see? So we do stuff like that. Awesome. Okay, so we talked about kind of ways to do it in small ways. Oh, so like, let's say the teacher's bringing in objects to rotate at the different tables. What kind of time frame do you think is like appropriate for just starting and then like stretching it out to like, what did you find like timing wise worked well? I probably in mine would have used about 40 minutes. Our class periods are 50 minutes long. Um, With how our tables are set up, I tried whenever we did any type of station thing to have six stations. Okay. Um, So to bring them in, you know, do roll and then give some guidelines for what the activity is going to look like probably would have about 40 minutes left. Um, If there are fewer stations, it might not take as much time. How long do you think they normally stayed at like one station doing a set of. (laughs) They, they want to stay for just a couple minutes, but I wouldn't let them um, rotate too soon. Um, Yeah. Cause once again, I just really tried to push that uh, you need to look closely. So if they've only been there for three minutes, you haven't looked closely enough. Um, You think that you have, right. It feels like them for it's like, it's been a long time, but it really hasn't. Um, so I would aim for them to be at one station for at least about 10 minutes. And then if they really feel like they don't have anything new to add, then they could go find another station. Okay. And what do you have any thoughts or ideas for, and maybe you didn't run into this, but like if students were just like, I like just 
like, I don't know what else to write or I don't know what else to like draw or I don't know what else to observe like early on when clearly they could add more, but like, how do you get them past that? Like hump of. I did. I did encounter that. Um, so I just tried to walk them through my own thoughts. So I would pick something else, um, and emphasize like, okay, here's, okay. So in, do you, in Arizona, we have Palo Verde trees in the Southwest. Um, okay. So they're, a they're a special kind of can Google tree. them. Um, <laughs> I've never they, heard of it. Yeah. That. So Palo Verde trees down here are, this came to mind because I know I walked a kid through a whole thing with the Palo Verde tree one time because we were standing right next to one. They're really weird because their bark is not uh, hard bark. It's like a soft, fleshy bark and it's green. Oh. Yeah. And, um, their leaves are really, really, really tiny. So anyway, so I had a kid one time who was like, I just, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what to do. Um, so it was emphasizing like, okay, when we start to look more closely, that's when things get really, really interesting. Like when we're just talking about, okay, I'm drawing a tree. Okay. That doesn't sound very interesting. Um, but when you start to look at things, that maybe, you know, you take for granted, like here are the Palo Verde trees, we see them all the time, but for somebody else, somewhere else, seeing a tree that is green on the trunk is weird, right? Yes. Um, so just thinking a little bit further, I was like, we draw the tree, whatever. Okay. The bark is green. That's weird. That's something to think more about. Like why, why might that be asking why for all kinds of things? Um, and then we came to, he's like, okay, well it's green. We already know about chlorophyll and photosynthesis. So maybe the bark can photosynthesize. And it's like, okay, well, why, why would that be useful for the Palo Verde trees to be able to do that? Can they do that? I don't know, but maybe they can. There has to be a reason why it's green, right? We're like, look at the leaves you're drawing them. You can see as you're drawing them, there's a bunch of tiny, tiny leaves. That's kind of weird. I mean, compared to how you normally draw draw a tree. Okay. So why are they like that? Right. And this kid was in eighth grade and seventh grade, they had already learned, right. Some plants have modified leaves in order to like reduce water loss. They know about that by cacti, blah, blah, blah. And so we eventually get to that point of like, okay, well maybe it's for this. Is that the reason? I don't know, but it could be. Um, it's just all about thinking why, why is it like this? And that's when we get into evolution and natural selection and all those kinds of things. Um, and I mean, that's what people end up doing like their dissertations on. It's not about trees, right? It's going to be about like the surface area to volume ratio of Palo Verde trees in Glendale, Arizona. Nice. Okay. So I really love that. You're just like, I have no idea if these answers are right or these ideas are, we're just putting ideas down. Like who knows if these things are right. So do you also emphasize to students that like, we're going to write a lot of stuff down and it might not all be, because I know there's a lot of teachers that are like, but I'm worried if my students write down a wrong idea, then it's like, you know, then they're going to forever think this wrong idea. So do you talk with students about like, we're just making ideas or, or do you just kind of not worry about that? I feel like I I don't always worry about that, but I have heard some teachers get very concerned if their students write down wrong ideas, even in this early stages of learning. Mm, That is, that's interesting. So we do talk about how your idea doesn't have to be the right idea. Um, A lot of the kids that I worked with tend to be uh, perfectionists, super high (laughs) kids. So they're like, well, I don't know if that's right or not. I'm like, I don't, it doesn't matter. It just has to be reasonable. Oh yeah. Um, Yeah. So we do talk about it a little bit. And that's just kind of the end of that. I just say, 
there should be some connection. It doesn't matter if it's right or not. If you want to look into it later, we can find out if it's right. But yeah. it's just about um, bridging bridging the content with you know the world. Yeah. Um, I haven't ever worried too much about them like getting stuck on the wrong idea. I guess I would rather them be thinking critically about the wrong idea than not committing to any thought at all. Yeah. Um, eventually, if they like continue to look into it, right, they're going to either be confirmed in what they thought and it does turn out that it's right or they're going to get some more information later and the two things are going to conflict with each other and they're going to have to revise that idea which I think is productive overall so absolutely yeah for sure so do you have your students going back into like previous journal entries like over time or ever yeah. or they did not enjoy that as much. Okay. Um, but yeah, I've had them do that. Um, I tried to do it almost seasonally. So we tried to do um, like a key fall entry, a key winter entry, and a key spring entry. Um, so we would go back to look at those ones mostly for comparison. Um, but that would also be a good opportunity to read read thoughts from the past and then revise thoughts from the past based yeah. on the stuff that we've learned. Yes. I love that. Okay. So what are some things that you put on your rubric? Like you have, you know, making the connections or something along those lines, I assume. Um, Is there any other specific things that you put? Yeah. So there's, um, it's divided into categories, um, drawings, which is like the modeling stuff, written words, and then basic features or something, I think. Um, They have to have on all of their entries, the date that we did it, the location that we did it, and the time of day that we did it. Um, Bonus if they put like what the weather was like or something like that. Um, So that's like the basic stuff. They have to have that. Um, Then they have to have some kind of drawing. Um, But then we were looking for specific features and I added features as we went through the year. So it started pretty simple. And then as we went on, we're learning these different skills. You have to do more. Yes. Um, So in their drawings, we're looking for some use of color or a description of color um, as we went on scale for something. So either like some object to compare it or some of them started bringing rulers so they could actually measure things. Um. Written words, there's explanations for what they're seeing and some other stuff. But I actually, I based my rubric off of one that I found in um, John Muir Law's book. Oh, okay. Journaling. Yes, um, I will link to that. That's how yes. I like stumbled. I don't even know how I stumbled across that book, but like I stumbled across the book and then I was like, oh, this is amazing. Yes. Um, <laughs> That's one. Mine is based on the rubric that he has in there. Okay. And just in case anybody doesn't know, the book is totally free for yes. the PDF version of it, which is amazing. Yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> super great. Yes. It has like tons of different like little mini activities you can bring in and, and stuff like that too to mix it up. Um, do you have any like any other like advice or thoughts or anything? I feel like that was all of my questions. 
Um, let's see. I guess don't be don't be afraid to start. Um, if you want to, but you're nervous, there's there are barriers to doing it. But like I said, this is a really easy access point. Um, so dip your toes in if it's something that you've been thinking about. If you're able to go like onto the school playground or anything, um, you know, the kids know where stuff is. If there are bugs and stuff, they know where they are. Um, yes. <laughs> I can totally guide you to like where all of the ladybugs hang out at lunchtime. Yes. Um, I also have found that this is a great, a great way to do like some interdisciplinary work. If that is anybody's jam. Um, we did like a collaborative unit at some point with the photography class at my school, um, where we all went out and they were looking for particular things. The kids got to photograph it and then the other kids added it to their journals. So that was really cool. Um, I haven't done it with other arts, right? Like the drawing, but, um, I feel like that would be feasible as well. Oh yeah. Super cool. Um, and I'm sure kids would get a kick out of like doing one assignment, but getting a grade for both. <laughs> that is true. That is true. Um, yeah. And then obviously if anybody listens to this and then actually does stuff, we would love to hear what you're doing and see pictures of what you're doing and inspire other people here. Cause it's really, really cool. But a lot of people are scared to start because well, it's, it's not a traditional thing to do. That, so, is, that is yeah. true. Um, I feel like it is really exciting though. And I was just listening, listening to this other workshop and I was just talking about how there's a lot of, especially in the, so like sometimes there's not a lot of joy in our schools. And I feel like this is kind of a neat activity. It has like the science skills and has all that, but it also gives kids like, to an extent, kind of like a break to like, just focus on one thing and draw and pay attention to what you notice. And I'm not saying it's like easy on your brain or anything, but also there's going to be some kids that really love the drawing part or like the other ones can just look at a pretty flower or whatever and, and, and draw. And <laughs> I don't know. Um, but I think it's just something different than, you know, some of the traditional so it is. And we I'm pretty sure that we have some research that seems to imply that just having trees on campus like improves student achievement. Just having any natural stuff. So yeah. yeah. And like Let cities and stuff, it's definitely I've definitely read research on on that, like green spaces and stuff. So mm-hmm. get your kids outside. It's good for their bodies and their brains and all those things. So awesome. Okay, so if anybody wants to connect with Sarah. Her, you can find her on Instagram. So it's Sarah, S-A-R-A-H dot Lynn, L-Y-N-N dot science, S-C-I-E-N-C-E. So hopefully you know sciences. Um, and that's Instagram. I will also put that in the show notes, link it here. So you can um, connect with her there if you have questions or want to follow up or share what you're doing. Of course, if you like do nature journaling, tag teaching science and 3D podcasts and all of that. And we'll share it with her even if you don't. And um, yeah. And, and we're excited to see what you do. So thank you so much, Sarah, for being on this podcast. This was like one of the only, inter- I think it, this was the only interview that we did this season. So, um, you're super special. Um, <laughs> I was like, oh, I want to pick her brain. So thank you so much for bringing all of your great advice and experience. Yeah. Thank you. And thank you everybody for listening. Thanks, guys. We'll check you out. <laughs> so yeah, listen, I didn't mean to say that. We'll see you um, next week or talk to you next week. Um, all right. Goodbye for the Teaching Science and 3D podcast. <laughs>
Making sure that your lessons are three-dimensional isn't always easy. While you don't need to include all three dimensions every single day, you do want to make sure that each dimension is regularly addressed. I developed a really simple 3D planner to help keep me focused. It helps me track which pieces I'm using in my daily lesson plans. It only takes me five minutes to fill out, and it helps me notice patterns in my own lesson planning. For example, when I first started using it, I noticed I wasn't including the cross-cutting concepts as often as I thought I was. Just by recognizing this, I was able to focus on this one piece and improve my lessons. Right now, you can grab the same template that I use for my own planning for free. Go to sadlerscience.com slash 3dplanner to grab yours. That's sadlerscience.com slash 3dplanner.